Over four decades ago, medical device pioneers John Abley and Pete Nicholas co-founded Boston Scientific to get life-saving technologies into the hands of physicians. Today, thousands of Boston Scientific employees are continuing that mission. We'll begin to tell their stories here on the Boston Scientific Talks podcast. Tom Salemi here of Device Talks. Welcome back to the Boston Scientific Talks podcast. We're going to talk about endosurgery today. I spoke with Brian Duncan. He is Chief Medical Officer from Boston Scientific's endoscopy business. And Mike Jones, he's a Senior Vice President at Boston Scientific and President of the endoscopy business. We started our conversation focusing on Boston Scientific's recent acquisition of Apollo endosurgery. Talked a bit about the particulars of the deal, what it means for Boston Scientific, but then we dug deeper into understanding what the future of endosurgery looks like, why it's essential, and why Dr. Duncan thinks we're uh, in the middle of a, of a revolution of sorts in surgery. He compared it to uh, to the laparoscopic business. This is another way where minimally invasive approaches will really help upend how surgeries are performed. So great conversation with uh, two leaders in the endoscopy business. I'm sure you'll enjoy this conversation. But of course, before we begin this episode of Boston Scientific Talks, I want to bring in our episode's sponsor, Freudenberg Medical. Very happy to have with us Paul Weifer. Paul is Director of Product Development at Freudenberg Medical. We're going to cover a lot of territory today, Paul, talking about different services that Freud and Medical can provide. We'll talk a bit about single scopes a little bit later, but first let's start at the beginning. Tell us about Freudenberg Medical. Hi, Tom. Sure. So Freudenberg Medical is a global partner to medical device OEMs for their product design, development, and manufacturing needs. So from medical components and tubing to drug and delivery solutions and also finished devices, uh, we currently have 11 sites worldwide, and we are located within all the key medtech clusters globally. So for minimally invasive handheld and catheter-based devices, we deliver and manufacture complex catheter shafts, plug-and-play handle solutions, hemostasis valves, hypertubes, steerable solutions, and also a wide range of complex catheter extrusions. That's a great start, Paul. Let's get into our Boston Scientific Talks episode. If you want to find out more about Freudenberg Medical right now, again, we'll have more information a little bit later, but right now you can go to Freudenberg Medical's website and it's freudenbergmedical.com and I'll spell that for you. F-R-E-U-D-E-N-B-E-R-G medical.com. All one word, freudenbergmedical.com. All right, let's get this episode of Boston Scientific Talks started. Again, we'll hear from Paul Weifer, Director of Product Development, a little later in the podcast. Well, Mike Jones and Brian Duncan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah. Thank you, Tom. Excited to uh, explore this area of medtech has been getting a lot of uh, attention, bariatric surgery, weight loss, all of that. We'll talk about GLP-1s later on, but we really want to focus on your Apollo acquisition. But before we get into all of that, I'd like to understand how you got to where you are. Brian, you were uh, on the podcast a couple of years ago, 
I don't recall if we were able to go deeply into your background because it was a really jam-packed episode, but it was highly successful. But Brian Duncan, how did you find your way into the medical device industry from medicine? Yeah, so thanks, Tom. I, I joined Boston Scientific just a little less than five years ago. I'm a newbie, for sure, to the organization by Boston Scientific standards. I was in full-time academic uh, surgery practice before I joined the company. And I, I'm a little bit of um, a hybrid surgeon because my specialty was abdominal surgery, so everything that's in the abdomen, and using minimally invasive surgery to accomplish that, uh, small cameras and, and small incisions. But I also did a lot of the things that the gastroenterologist did. So a lot of endoscopy, what we would call therapeutic endoscopy, where we're doing more advanced procedures hmm. inside the lumen of the GI tract. And the reason why I was crossing those worlds is that we'll probably talk about this a little bit, is that it really endoscopy was kind of the next generation of minimally invasive surgery. That's where things were moving. And I wanted to be on that forefront. So joined the company five years ago, and it's been spectacular. And just help me understand what falls under endoscopy, anything that, that requires an endoscope, anything that goes through a certain opening in the body. How would you define it to someone at a, at a barbecue or a holiday party? So endoscopy in general means to look inside the lumen of something, you know, with a, a camera system, basically. For, for our purposes, we're really talking about looking inside the intestinal tract. So the esophagus, the stomach, the colon, uh, those kinds of things. For Boston Scientific, we also include in that we treat diseases in the liver and the pancreas, and those two organs are connected into the intestinal tract by tubes, and we make devices that go up those small tubes. We call those ducts. So, so that whole world of liver and pancreas, we call pancreaticobiliary. You'll hear us use that term. And then we also talk about really the entire gastrointestinal tract, and that's from mouth all the way to your bottom. So Mike Jones, you're Senior Vice President at Boston Scientific. You're President of the Endoscopy Business. Tell me, how did you get to the medical device industry and to Boston Scientific? Yeah, so uh, Tom, first of all, glad to be here. My background's not as exciting as Dr. Duncan. <laughs> oh, come so on. So I, I came out of uh, college and I worked out for the E&J Gallo Winery. So I did that for four years. And our division within Boston Scientific and, and many others do hire write-off from consumer products at the time when I was going through it. And so Gallo had a really good training program. So I actually had people that left Gallo and worked for Boston Scientific. So I came over as a territory manager, which is a first line sales rep for us. And I moved from Denver, Colorado to Portland, Oregon, and did that for five years, covering the, the entire Pacific Northwest. And then I moved over to the Southeast into Charlotte and was a region manager. That's our first line management. And then I came back to Colorado, which was, was a director that has region managers reporting to them. And then I was vice president of sales shortly after that, about six, seven years after that. And then in 2018, almost right when Brian started, I became the role of this general manager job, which I took on more commercial functions, sales and marketing. And then I added our health economics to that, project management strategy, our national accounts all started falling underneath me to give me a broader perspective of the business. And then in 2002, I became the president of the division. 2022. That's right. Cool. Great. It's interesting. You had the experience in the wine industry. I had someone reach out to me. Uh, who wanted to get into med tech, and I referred him to someone I know in the industry. And the person in the industry mentioned that that is still, at least that has been traditionally a path looking at consumer goods. The wine industry was actually something that he specifically mentioned. Is that still a good training ground for medical advice reps, or has it become more complex? And it's more complex, but we still, for me, it's, you know, we believe we could teach 
virtually anybody how to sell our products. For me, it's more around capacity and knowledge, et cetera, that we get. So we not only hire people from the gallery, but we still hire people from consumer products. You know, Black & Decker's big a company and still. So there's a lot of consumer products, at least our division and people in Boston Scientific still hire. Not every Boston Scientific division, they want to have some medical background. Our divisions and maybe a few others still hire from consumer products. It's a, it's a, good, it's a good background to have. Okay, great. Dr. Duncan gave us sort of the medical overview of the, the parts of the body that you, you treat. Can you just give me a highlight of your, your portfolio? What are some of your, your bigger products that people would recognize? Sure. So for us, it's uh, I think Brian did a really good job of describing what we do. So the stuff that we sell is we have expandable metal stents to go into those organs that uh, Brian brought up. So, you know, from the esophagus, we have stents to go in there. Our biliary tree, we have uh, expandable metal stents and in the duodenum in the colon as well. So that's one thing when people hear about expandable metal stents, that's one area we cover. Other areas during a colonoscopy, which everybody should get one if you're 45 years or older, but uh, to diagnose anything they do get at you, they use a snare to remove those polyps and to diagnose some of the tissue used biopsy forceps. All those go through the channel of the endoscope to do those as well. So that's some of the area. And then a big part of the areas we'll probably talk about today is two areas where Brian talked about the pancreatic biliary product line. There is a, it's a toolbox. There's a bunch of products that go in there from wires to sphincter tomes that cut to dilating balloons to retrieval baskets. There's a lot of stuff that goes into that piece of our bag. And the other area where we'll probably spend some of our time on today, I'm assuming, is our endoluminal surgery products as well. So obviously with our acquisition of Apollo, we have suturing pieces to that. We have clips. Um, we have cutting knives as well. So we have, we're building up a toolbox very similar to what we do for our pancreatic biliary products. And Tom, one of the things that we struggle with in endoscopy is we've got a lot of tools that we bring into the field. And I think it helps to think of them in kind of three groups. And so Mike described some of what we would put in kind of core GI, and, and that's all the tools that you need to do the everyday work in the gastrointestinal tract. And most people out there, if you have an endoscopy, it might be more around that screening colonoscopy that, that Mike said, you better get if you're 45 or older. And then if, if you find something, a growth on that, then we've got tools. So that's core GI. We have the HPB, the hepatobiliary and pancreas. And that's everything else Mike just said that that touches the liver and the pancreas. That includes our single-use scope. So you mentioned, uh, you know, a prior discussion around that. And then uh, we have this endoluminal surgery, which, which really is just that. How can we do surgical-type procedures inside the lumina to GI tract? So I think if you break it into those three buckets, it's a little easier to understand because it's, it's a big portfolio. Okay, great. Let's start with uh, endoluminal surgery and the Apollo Endosurgery Acquisition. Mike, as a reporter, we love hearing about acquisitions like this of one company that we've been following forever being acquired by a larger company that we've been following forever. Just It seems like the end of a story, and we like to tell stories. Why did this acquisition make sense to Boston Scientific? What gaps did it fill or what opportunities did, did it offer that you weren't previously able to take advantage of? Yeah, you know, it's when you look at acquisitions, this one, when I look back at a lot of our acquisitions, especially in Endo, this one was a perfect fit. So when you look at the Apollo technology, so they have a product called Overstitch, they have a new product called XTAC, and they have an Abera balloon. Those are the main products they have in their bag today. And when you look at the suturing capabilities of overstitch technology, that could both be used for defect closure. And that's for anything inside the Lumen today that we'll be talking for. Like if you want to do a ESD procedure where you want to use a few stitches to close 
a lesion, you could use that technology there. And that's being used today with clips or suturing. You also could use the technology to fixate a stent if you want a stent not to migrate, you could use that technology. And also with this acquisition, it allows us to open a whole new area of endobariatrics. Obviously know how much the epidemic around obesity is out there. This technology allows us to do a procedure called endo sleeve gastrostomy, so ESG, and it's a new call point for us. Now we're calling on bariatric surgeons and GI professionals that are actually doing these procedures. So it give us two areas that we could use this technology in. So it's just not one, it's two areas that we want to continue to grow. So for us, not only from the technology itself, but you've been following them for a long time. They have a very talented team over there that really fit really nicely inside Boston Scientific from a culture standpoint. So it's obviously the people as well that we were excited about, but also the technology and to the two different areas that we're gonna focus on. So for us, it was sort of a perfect acquisition, if you wanna call it that, for us to, to fit where we're focusing on and where they're focused on as well. All right, let's take a break from this conversation in our Boston Scientific Talks podcast, bring back our sponsor, Freudenberg Medical. Once again, happy to be visited by Paul Weaver. He's Director of Product Development at Freudenberg Medical. Paul, we're talking a lot about minimally invasive surgery today. Are there some common design and development skills that can be applied to both developing minimally invasive catheters and single-use scopes? And if so, how do they contribute to improving performance and functionality? Uh, yeah, good question, Tom. And in my experience, yes, there are lots of design development skills that can be shared between minimally invasive catheters and single-use scopes. So, for instance, one example would be where design experts can use their catheter knowledge to improve things like how a scope reaches a specific target area safely and efficiently, ensuring the scope can move effectively through tricky anatomy, but also how to incorporate sensors and imaging at the tip while striving for excellent visualization and ensuring the overall device profile is kept at a minimum. Our device experts are also adept at understanding what's comfortable and easy for the physician to use. So when it comes to form and function design thinking, I do believe that a disposable end scope is probably more similar to a minimally invasive catheter, which is built for deliverability, rather than a traditional scope built for durability in cleaning and reprocessing. Well, that's an interesting perspective. And again, based upon your and Freudenberg's experience and expertise, do you have any tips for companies in this space that are developing new generation products or extending their product portfolio? Yes, yeah, so I suppose the, the thing for the company to remember is that we're here to help and support. So they should reach out to us at an early stage in the development process and leverage the experience and expertise that a company like Freudenberg has in our years of catheter experience. And perhaps not just to reprocess an idea or a concept that they have already. And finally, again, just focusing on single-use scopes, how does Freudenberg Medical utilize its experience to help customers meet the requirements for developing single-use scopes? Yeah, well, companies like Freudmer Medical are experienced in collaborating with customers across various minimally invasive therapies. And that experience translates efficiently to our understanding and ability to fulfill customer requirements when it comes to single-use scopes and leverages our strong and extensive knowledge of materials and processes and our experience with demanding visualization, access, or delivery devices. 
And it's not just about design and development capabilities or our vertically integrated supply network. We do have a very strong and proven track record in ramping and scaling products for stable long-term volume production. And that's critical in a single-use device market with such an exciting high-growth outlook. That's great, Paul. And how can folks find out about the work that Freudenberg is doing in single-use scopes? So, Tom, I do invite your listeners to visit our website and dedicate a web page, which will be linked to this podcast. And there they'll be able to learn more about our specific expertise in this area and also have an ability to access our trend paper on this hot topic. We are proud to be working with several companies and technologies in this area already and contributing to greater patient access in office-based labs and surgical centers. That's great. Well, Paul Weifer, thank you for joining us on the Boston Scientific Talks podcast. Yeah, thank you, Tom. And thanks to your listeners for their time today. Once again, if you'd like to find out more about Freudenberg, check out the link that we have on the podcast notes. That'll take you to a special website for listeners of Boston Scientific Talks. And you can go to freudenbergmedical.com. That's F-R-E-U-D-E-N. B-E-R-G medical.com. Now let's get back to our podcast. Brian, can you give a sort of a clinical perspective on, on what Apollo brings to the tool bag? What if you're a physician, a surgeon who's using this, what, what does it allow you to do in a, in a very clever way? Yeah, it's a, it's a super exciting uh, addition to our organization. Let me start with the overstitch device that Mike talked about. So Maybe to understand this, if, if you don't mind, I'll take a minute just to back up and, and talk about endoluminal surgery. Yes, is please. That okay? is that, yeah. yeah, please do. So, you know, if you, if you think about surgery and how surgery has evolved over the years, particularly in the intestinal tract. So let's talk abdominal surgery, the kind of things that I did before joining the company. We started with open surgery. So if I wanted to work in the abdominal space, work on the intestinal tract, I'd have to make an incision in your abdominal wall, go in and, and operate using my hands and eyes. We evolved that into laparoscopic surgery. So now I don't need to make an incision kind of, you know, from stem to stern. I can make small incisions, introduce a small fiber optic camera, watch what I'm doing on a television screen and, um, and, and do surgery that way. And that was our first generation of minimally invasive surgery. Endoluminal surgery is to move from that paradigm to no incisions on the abdominal wall and doing surgical kinds of procedures in the intestinal tract or in the liver or in the pancreas, working from completely inside the intestinal tract. And one of the things that a lot of the listeners might not realize is that the pain from surgery is not from me cutting your intestinal wall. There's actually no pain fibers there. Hmm. The pain comes from me going through the abdominal wall and accessing other things. And that obviously has huge benefits and gets you out of the hospital or keeps you out of the hospital and gets you back to your life after you've had a procedure. When it was described, I thought, oh, the benefit is you don't have to cut the intestinal wall, but it's actually reversed. You don't have to cut the tissue to get to the intestinal wall. That's a great way to characterize it. Absolutely. In fact, we do want to cut the intestinal wall uh, just like we did in surgery, remove disease, put things back together, but we want to do it without really causing any disability to the patient. Now, specifically for Apollo, you know, if we're going to move into this endoluminal surgery space, We need tools, surgical kind of tools, the way we did for the other types of surgery. And uh, as I mentioned, I'm a surgeon. I walk into an operating room. I have a whole back table of tools to choose from in order to do the procedure that I want to do. 
I can intermittently access that back table through the operation. For endoluminal surgery, Boston Scientific Endo, we're creating that same back table, that, that same toolbox to bring to bear in the endoluminal surgery space. And Apollo is an important part of that toolbox because it gives us the ability to suture, to stitch inside the lumen of the GI tract, which is a foundational element of surgery is, you know, to, to put things back together. And so that's the overstitch device. It is an endoscopic suturing device that allows to suture inside the lumen of the GI tract. And use of that device started with trying to close holes and manage leaks and that kind of thing. And, and actually, I, I used to practice in Houston, Texas. That's by Texas standards, just down the road from Austin, Texas, where <laughs> Apollo's headquarters was. So I, I used the first generation of Apollo overstitch device. We're on multiple generations since then to close leaks and things like that. But the use of that has now evolved to this endobariatric space that Mike described doing an ESG, an endoluminal sleeve gastroplasty, which is basically to suture the stomach from the inside to make it smaller so that patients feel full quicker when they eat and they stay full longer and they lose weight. So Apollo gives us additional tools in this toolbox to do endoluminal surgery in general, and then specifically in the endobariatric space. That's great. Mike, talk to me a bit about the integration of the company into, into Boston Scientific. Did the devices and the tools, do they, they fit right into the tool bag of your current sales force? Did you bring in Apollo people? What was the, the integration like after the, the acquisition? How did that go? Yeah, so it's you know it's almost nine months now since we we announced and we went through the process over the last nine months. First of all, to train up the existing our existing sales team so they understand the technology. It is a more complex device. It's something else we have in our bag today. So there is a lot of training, but the technology where Brian was going through from how it makes sense and how it fits in from a portfolio standpoint, the suturing is a procedure that gastroenterologists today use and surgeons use today, obviously, but they use today. We actually have mechanical clips that do things similar, but not the same as suturing. So that fits nicely into that area where from a technology standpoint, all those products I brought up fit some area of today where we're using in our bag. It just takes the training up. The new area for us is the call point of the bariatric surgeon. We didn't have anything really to call in the bariatric surgeon that was on label, so we didn't call in the bariatric surgeon. So that is new from a call point standpoint. But from the device standpoint, it's not like we picked up 3,000 devices. You know, There's mainly three devices they, they picked up. We had to learn the technology and how the product works. It's pretty simple when you figure out how to use the device. I think the biggest challenge a team comes up is what happens when this happens? And that's where you sort of have experience over time doing the procedures of how to get yourself out of quote unquote trouble when something doesn't go the way you want it to. So that's really the, the training aspect of it. Brian and his team, Brian for us, our professional education falls underneath Brian's team and everything underneath him. So he's got a big lead and leading this from an organization standpoint. But for me, that's a point that I think as we continue to grow is the professional education, both internal customers, our team and external is key for the success for this continue to grow. Brian, anything to add it to this integration and the education that was part of it? I think the technology fits nicely into yeah. our portfolio, as, as Mike described. And then from a training aspect, 
there's definitely a lift to training and getting physicians uh, up to speed to do this. But that's one of the things that excites me about bringing this from Apollo over to Boston Scientific. One of the things that I did in academic surgery before joining Boston Scientific is I spent a lot of time trying to figure out how do you teach practicing docs, new techniques and, and new technology when you don't have the luxury of going through a long training period or or that kind of thing. And I did a lot of work kind of collaborating with educational experts and building physical centers to do that kind of training. And Boston Scientific has allowed me to take that experience, build a very robust global professional education team that leverages the science of education in order to kind of help with procedural adoption and, and make sure that's done safely and effectively. And we're excited to bring that team to bear and, and have been bringing that team to bear in this portfolio. So it's a bit of a lift to get to learn how to use suturing, but we're like super excited to bring our team on that and, and get people to, to have this in their tool bag. Mike, let's start talking about the bariatric market itself and why Boston Scientific was, what, what excites Boston Scientific about it? Can you lay out why it was important to have a device that allowed you to call on these surgeons? You know, it is. So for us right now, you know, when we look at areas that we want to continue to grow as a division, we obviously want to continue to grow and strengthen our category leadership where we play today. But this is a new market for us and it's an adjacency. So for us, if we want to continue to grow, we try to look at areas, how can we help from a clinical, really help the patients out that are needed. And when you look at the bariatric market, we could pull up global numbers or US numbers, but it's obviously significant when you look at people that are considered obese that need to lose weight over a BMI of 30 or 35, whatever you want to look at. That's a, that's a big number. So for us, knowing that we could do something from an endoscopic standpoint, versus not only what's out there today, with, which is surgery, which is still needed in the, in the marketplace, but from an endoscopic approach, we feel that being the market leader in what we do today, with our ability to train, educate, and the broad global sales organization, a technology like this could really help. Because this is just not a U.S. phenomenon, as we know. This is a global area, and we, we've got a large global presence. So how can we take this technology and make more awareness and educate and train physicians and our team to really be able to go and really help patients lose weight. And we felt like this was something that for us, if we we're going to try to build our own suturing system based on what's out there, it would take us years versus having the opportunity to what Apollo did for you know the last you know 10 to 15 years, really build this market in the technology. So that's why we're really excited about the endobariatrics. Plus, the defect closure pieces is what Brian already went through. There's a need there as well. So that's why this one, we're so excited about the endobariatric market as well. Is it a larger market or are there a lot more surgeons to call on now or is it just a... It's a large market. So, you know, Brian might have the bariatric surgeons, but not only bariatric surgeons, you, you do these uh, procedures too. Brian came from the Sages group and some of them do these procedures. So it's a larger group from a surgeon base, at least in the United States, a little different outside, but at least in the United States, there's a lot of physicians that have the ability to do it. Some of it we have to figure out is who is the right person inside a practice to do this and who has the scope skills to do it. And I'll let Brian answer that one. But for me, when I look at this broadly, there is a new call point based on surgeons that will be able to that want to do this technology and will use it. And there's also that will hire somebody to do it for them as they build out these bariatric clinics and practices. So for me, it's 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 going to grow based on, I know we'll talk about the GLP-1s, but we, as we continue to grow, this place in medicine, in my opinion, based on 
obesity is going to continue to grow and it's only going to get it's only going to get bigger faster you know for us to help out talk about the size and the opportunity of the bariatric market and we've talked about the glp we've mentioned glp ones twice now and it seems to be it, it really kind of caused a huge wave i was going to say a ripple but a wave through medtech is everyone started throwing their hands in the air and worrying about what it means for the sales of medical devices talk about the bariatric market for a moment just sort of the the size of the opportunity but how do you view the introduction of glp ones and what impact will it have on the medical device business from boston scientific's perspective the impact of glp ones I think, first of all, it's it's exciting to have more tools to bring to bear on this problem of obesity. Mike was talking about the scale. Of, I mean, just in the U.S. alone, 40% of adults in America are obese. And that number has been increasing for quite some time now. And if you're a patient that suffers from obesity, up until relatively recently, you kind of had two options. You could do lifestyle modification. And everybody's tried that, that's tried to lose weight. The statistics will tell you that you're likely to lose about 2% of your total body weight loss, and it's not sustainable by lifestyle mm -hmm. modification. So everybody's tried it, everybody's failed, everybody gets nihilistic about it. The other option was surgery. And the American public has said, we don't really feel this is a surgical disease. So the, the number of patients who are eligible to have surgery and actually go and get it is 1% of the uh, potential group of patients eligible for bariatric surgery. Wow. And it's been pretty flat for the last five years. Now with GLP-1s, with endoluminal approaches, we've got other things in the toolbox to help address these patients. And that's a big part of what's causing the excitement that, that you described as a wave. I would say at Boston Scientific, we, we really believe in the concept that a rising tide raises all boats. So if, if before all I had was the failed lifestyle modifications or surgery, I wasn't going to go, go engage with the healthcare profession. Now I'm going to go, I might start on medications, get down that road, get some professional advice. And this is a chronic lifelong disease that needs more than one tool in the toolbox. And so we think all these things have a role to play surgery, endoluminal procedures, pharma, and you always include lifestyle modification. But that combination is a much more powerful tool than what we had before. Mike, can you uh, add it from, from your perspective? What are your colleagues hearing from physicians, from the public as to the impact of GLP-1s and, and what impact will it have on the market going forward? Yeah, it's a, probably a topic that's going to continue to come up. But I think where Brian was going, and I'm a, a big believer, even when these first came out, when you started hearing about the GLP-1s, I mean, we acquired them in, in April. We started hearing about this. Honestly, I started hearing more about it when I dove into last January. But for me, it's more around awareness because I think the way Brian brought it up and the way we look at it from, at least from Boston Scientific, is this is going to be a holistic approach. There is not one silver bullet that's going to fix this epidemic right now on obesity. It's going to be this whole toolbox that's going to allow, allow you to do it. So when I look at GLP-1s and I look at what we're trying to accomplish here, this is putting a spotlight on the awareness. There are certain people that will take GLP-1s and they'll be able to take them and they'll have no issues. There's a percentage, there's a bunch of studies out there, but there's a percentage of the people that will either drop off them based on they don't work for them or they have challenges using them or it's too expensive. Whatever that number is, we'll just say right now, 15 to 20%, those patients went out and tried to get something to help their obesity. Now, they've known about surgery a little bit in the past, and for whatever reason, surgery did not fit. They may not be aware of ESG. So now, 
how, how do we get the more awareness to be able to help those patients? So for me, when you look at how you bring aware, awareness up and you look from a sales term of you have a big funnel, you're putting more people into that funnel that eventually people will start coming back out for multiple reasons, but we will have the ability to trying to find ways to get them into other options, i.e. ESG. So from us standpoint, when you, you probably first saw the numbers come through, the studies come out, the friggin' whole medical device taint, right? Now everything's back up when people got more educated. As you get more educated and understand what GLP ones, you realize where Brian was going, this is going to be a holistic approach. It's not a silver bullet. It's going to it's gonna bring a lot more into not only, my opinion, probably more surgeries, more ESGs. This whole lifestyle piece is such a key topic around this is matter what you do, you need to be able to understand them. You go do a procedure or take the stuff, you have to make lifestyle modifications to keep the trend going for a long period of time. And that's component. I think Brian touched on, but it's so important for this to be successful moving forward. And where do you think innovation in this space will come from for Boston Scientific? Are you committing R&D dollars to new tools that can be used through these channels? Or do you see that new devices, new approaches primarily coming through M&A like, like Apollo or maybe smaller M&A? Yeah, all of the above. We are definitely putting R&D dollars toward for us to continue to do what's next. Like you'll probably hear we're in the process of our limited launch on a product called NXT. It's a single channel suturing device that they already had in development. So we're, we'll be fully launching that here probably in the next three to six months. And for us, that's another addition to this. We have ideas of how we could probably, how do we speed up the learning curve on this as well from their training standpoint or changes to the device that's to and as we learn this space we'll probably make tweaks to the device just like they have i think brian said i think this is their fourth generation they're on right now we're going to continue to iterate as we move forward and then also by us being in the space what else can be in there to build in this toolbox and that's tbd that's either through MA or through us doing strategic uh, relationships with other partners out there but all that plays into for us growing this is just not going to be one product. We feel that we continue to invest and move this piece of the business forward. Excellent. I appreciate the time you've taken today. Final question, just kind of more open-ended, Brian. We've spent most of the time talking about bariatric. What excites you about the other spaces within the endosurgery business? What can people look forward to? I tell my colleagues that every once in a while in medicine, a paradigm shift happens. And when you're when you're living within that paradigm shift, Sometimes you don't really realize it. I experienced that in, in kind of the laparoscopic surgery era. We are in the midst of the next paradigm shift in minimally invasive surgery, and that's using endoluminal approaches. And we've been talking today about the GI space, but it applies everywhere. You look at neurosurgery, you look at, I mean, we can put your heart valve in now through your leg. That's an endoluminal approach uh, type thing. So I'm very excited about this space. It's why I pursued the career I did in clinical practice. It's why I joined this company. I don't think there's a better one position to embrace the paradigm of endoluminal surgery and push it forward. There are at least a half a dozen operations that I used to do uh, laparoscopically, and now they're all preferentially done endoscopically. I'm loving where we're positioned. I'm loving how we're filling up this toolbox. I'm excited to be a part of that. Same question for you, Mike. What are you telling folks that they need to know is happening at Boston Scientific or should know that's coming at Boston Scientific in the next couple of years? Yeah, at least for the endo business, there's, I, yep. I think where Brian was going is the, the same feeling I have is it, it you know, we're all, I think it's a blessing and a privilege to be able to be in healthcare, to really, to be able to help improve the quality of life of patients. And that's why we're here. I could have still been in the wine industry and still had a great career, but being here right now, really looking at what's needed to really help patients. And I don't care if it's an endoluminal surgery or a 
pancreatic biliary or our coronoscopy, what technology can we do that really fits a need in the market that's not there today, or we get an improve on to get better outcomes for patients out there? We all, you know, one thing that uh, in, in GI, I joke around, it's our body's like a, like a house, right? So anything over time, something's going to break down. The plumbing's going to break down. Some of the electrician's going to break down. And the longer you live, more often you're going to have procedures that we provide. And so if we can continue to improve those by either our internal technologies or through M&A to really help patients, for me, that's what I'm continuing to excited about. It's never about not having the opportunity. It's prioritizing what those opportunities are for us to be successful. Fantastic. All right, great. Well, great stories, great uh, insights. I thank you both for joining me on the podcast. Thanks for the time. Yeah, thank you, Tom. Well, that is a wrap. Thanks so much, Freudenberg Medical, for sponsoring this episode of the Boston Scientific Talks podcast. Thanks, of course, to our guests, Brian Duncan and Mike Jones of Boston Scientific's Endoscopy Business. And again, thanks to you, our listeners, for being a part of the Boston Scientific Talks podcast. Please do us a favor, if you would, uh, please subscribe to the Device Talks podcast network so you don't miss a future episode of Boston Scientific Talks or our other great podcasts. Please share this episode on social media so other folks can find it and listen to it. Please give us a ranking. A five-star ranking would be great. If you uh, would tell folks that you're enjoying the program, it'll help them find it more easily on all the podcast applications. And finally, please connect with me on LinkedIn. I am Tom Salemi. I am Editorial Director of Device Talks. Tom, S-A-L-E-M-I. Connect with me on LinkedIn. Tag me when you share this episode. Tag Boston Scientific. We'd all love to be part of your MedTech conversations. That's it, folks. Thanks again for being part of this episode of the Boston Scientific Talks podcast. Tune in next time. We have another great episode coming your way. 